0: This is Let's Talk New Mexico, I'm Kaveh Movahed. Over the last few years, we've felt a sea change in the way we work. It started with the pandemic and the new need to find a way to work remotely. Then those who had jobs that required on-site work, like service workers and people who handle food, started to demand higher wages in exchange for working in riskier environments. Then, the Great Resignation affected almost all sectors, with workers leveraging their power in the employee-employer relationship. Now that the feelings of emergency are starting to subside, there's a rebalancing happening in the workplace, where the demand for more flexible work arrangements for the sake of family, home life, and mental health is playing a big role in the job market. That's one space where we find the intersection of modern work and remote and hybrid work, and the part of that rebalancing balancing equation we'll discuss today. We'll talk to people from banking, medicine, and tech fields about how their organizations are meeting workers where they are. And we'll hear from a researcher about what's lost when people don't work in the same room. We'd like to hear from you too. Has remote or hybrid work helped your family or cut away some of your social connections? Email letstalk at kunm.org or call in live at 505-277-5866. We'll start the show this morning with a recording from a short interview I had yesterday with Giovanna Rossi, who you might recognize from the Well Woman show that airs the second Friday morning of each month on KUNM. It's also a weekly NPR podcast. Giovanna is also the founder of the advocacy group Family Friendly New Mexico. They help businesses create family-friendly workplace policies, including remote and hybrid work arrangements. Here's some of that conversation
1: family-friendly new mexico we really want to create the environment in the workplace where employees and their families can thrive and what does that mean um, part of that is what kinds of workplace policies support employees to really do their best while they're at work and also thrive at home with their families and so some of those things do include workplace you know hybrid uh, and work schedules and and that kind of thing but there's sort of a larger picture that that we try to paint for employers which is that um there are all these intersecting workplace policies that really uh when you have a whole host of these policies in place they work together to support employees to thrive which actually benefits the employer because the employer then has, you know, more productive and loyal employees and, and all of those benefits to the employer. So some of the policies that we focus on uh, include telecommuting and hybrid work, but they they also include things like scheduling, flexible scheduling, and having flexibility in general. They include childcare, the employer, you know, supporting different options for childcare, whether it's on-site or off-site or partnering with a child care provider. It includes paid leave so that the employee has some time to take care of family and medical issues. It includes good wages. You know, without a, a good mix of great workplace policies, your employees are just not going to thrive.
0: When I think of this intersection of families and alternative work models—the first thing that comes to mind is childcare. I kind of have this picture in my head of uh, working parents at home with their kids, rather than having to cough up the, you know, the very high costs uh, associated with with hiring somebody for childcare. How can we convince? employers that that sort of work arrangement will result in a work product that is just as good as it is if the employees are in the office.
1: I think that we can look at what happened during the pandemic as an example of what is possible. I think we're sort of beyond trying to convince employers of anything. I think at this point we're saying, this is what families need. And in, if you want to attract highest quality and and the best talent out there to fill your jobs, you employers need to figure out how to support them. I think we can look at the pandemic experience and say, okay, you know, pre pandemic, we didn't have a precedent really for employers in a mass kind of way to offer these kind of flexible work policies. They had to kind of put these things in place and really learn and figure out how to do those things. And I think it takes some creativity and some innovative thinking, but we have proof that it can be done because we had to do it during the pandemic. So I think we need to take all the lessons from that experience and apply them. In the current environment, the fact is that over 60% of children in New Mexico who are under six years old have all parents in the workforce, and those parents need childcare, and there are things that the state is doing, you know, to put that in place, it really benefits employers to know about those options and also to know what kinds of things they can do as an employer to support employees to have childcare.
0: So you've mentioned some of these supports that are available for employers. What do those look like?
1: There are things like fact sheets and sample policies that are available. There are workshops. And we really foster an environment where employers are learning from each other so that they can figure out, oh, this worked for you over here. I'm going to try it, you know, in my business. I think ultimately the big picture here is that when employers can be flexible and offer a, a mix of good workplace policies, then the employee, you know, may or may not need to work hybrid, if they have great childcare, right, or if they have good paid leave, and they have good wages, and they have health supports. If you put all of these other things in place, you might actually reduce the need for hybrid work. Not to say that People don't still won't want to work hybrid. And we've seen some examples where it, it really works well. And I think you have other guests on the show that are giving some of those examples.
0: That was Giovanna Rossi, uh, founder of Family Friendly New Mexico. And she's right. We have other guests to carry the conversation along with your calls and emails this hour. Dial 505 277 5866 or email let's talk at KUNM.org. Let's bring in our next guest, Erica Barrero, who's live in the studio with us this morning. Erica worked at CNM, where she researched the future of work and took that expertise to Nusenda Credit Union, where she is now their chief Learning and Diversity Officer. Thanks for coming in, Erica. Erica, before you and I start talking more specifically about remote and hybrid work, I'd like to hear your thoughts on Giovanni Rossi's point that this is part of a larger transformation in the way we think about employment.
2: Yeah, I think um, actually prior to the co- uh, to the COVID crisis, we were exper- we were seeing trends that were suggesting that were suggesting that. Um, there were shifting patterns in what employees were looking for. So, as we see this larger group of millennials and Gen Z enter the workforce, um, they're looking for a lot of them uh, purpose in their work, balance in their work and life. Uh, and they're really willing to walk away from a job if they don't have that. Uh, the pandemic really was a catalyst um, and accelerant to that trend. And so now we see a lot of employees that have experienced what that work can be like, and they're very reluctant to let it go.
0: Okay, Erica, let's keep going with this. Part of what you do is create a workplace culture, right? How does that work reflect the change we're seeing in American culture?
2: Yeah, so I think um, what I would say organizations are kind of experimenting with is what hybrid looks like in a physical place. What can we use in terms of our environment? Like Giovanna was talking about, are we offering childcare? Do we have on-site food services so that Um, employees I think have more of a work experience that is a little blending of that social reason that we go to work, but is also giving people different options for where they work and how they work on site. And so I think that can be complemented with also options to work from home. um, That fits nicely with folks who do better work, uh, deep thinking types of work in isolation at home, but then also can still come to the office for that social connection.
0: Okay, well, what about the actual
2: workplace, the office? How is office usage changing? I think a lot of employers have seen some pretty significant shifts in the ways that their offices are being utilized. I think um, probably some of us were panicking a little bit because we had these large buildings that weren't getting utilized. Uh, I think that we're looking at how do we create spaces that feel a little bit more like the coffee shop experience on-site. Uh, we are doing a lot more desk sharing and hoteling um, within our office buildings in order to accommodate kind of the people that are doing drive-bys and sit-ins as well as those that are coming every day to work in on-site. Okay, well,
0: there must then be a... Uh corresponding new normal when it comes to workplace practices. What about things like who the employees are now versus then?
2: Yeah, I I would say that um, we're certainly seeing an influence, as I mentioned, of uh, generations and uh, what they're looking for. I think one of the, the changes that we are seeing is um, – employees that are empowered to negotiate. Uh, And I think they're looking for those opportunities to have, um, we'll call it a custom work experience. And so there's a shift away from this idea that that there is a one size that works for everybody. And instead, we're having to navigate a much more higher complex environment to help give um, employees that personalized and customized experience that they're looking for. I wonder then if that also leads to a wider
0: range of people. I guess specifically I'm thinking about race, I'm thinking about gender, I'm thinking about ability. Some of these barriers to Absolutely. employment that we certainly used to
2: have in place, are they still there? Uh they are. And uh, the, the option to work remotely is certainly a benefit. Um, as someone myself who uh, has a disability, uh, the addition of a remote work option really helped uh, me. And we're seeing that that's true. Um, this has been one of the greatest Um, entrance of persons with disability in the workforce as a result of uh, the pandemic and remote work options. We're also seeing that um, some of our employees who did not necessarily feel welcomed or belonging uh, on site are using remote work to have some breaks against the microaggressions that they might experience on site, the mental energy that it takes if you are someone who doesn't, you know, first language isn't English. Uh, so, So really just all of those Um, challenges that individuals face um, remote work has been appealing. We see an uptick in you know women and employees of color and persons with disabilities using these arrangements in order to thrive in their work environments. Okay. This
0: is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Kaveh Movahed. We're taking your calls about remote and hybrid work. Call us at 505-277-5866. We'll be right back.
3: Support for KUNM comes from the FCC's Affordable Connectivity Program. The ACP is a federal program that helps eligible households get the Internet needed for work, school, health care, and more. Information and application at getinternet.gov.
1: Please join us in thanking our business and nonprofit underwriters for their continued financial support. Because of their support, our mission will continue as your trusted source of award-winning local news and music. KUNM, powered by you. On The Well Woman Show this week, I interview Zeynep Tan, author of The Good Jobs Strategy, professor at MIT and president of The Good Jobs Institute, where she works with companies to improve their operations in a way that satisfies employees, customers, and investors alike. I saw that companies could win with their customers and provide good jobs. Join me, Giovanna Rossi, for The Well Woman Show this Friday at 8 a.m. right here on KUNM.
0: Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Kaveh Movahead. Before we rejoin our conversation, just a quick heads up. On next week's show, we'll discuss social media and its effects on New Mexico's kids and the grownups, too. Email your comments to Talk at kunm.org. Today, though, we're talking about remote and hybrid work schedules. We have Erica Barrero from Nucinda Credit Union in the studio with us. And I'd like to go to an email. We have an email, uh, this was sent quite a while ago, from listener Gustavo, who says, well, he, he wrote quite a bit, but let me just pull some out. For me, the positive aspects of remote work far outweigh the negative ones. Some of the benefits Gustavo lists are being able to work in peace with few interruptions, being insulated from the drama and gossiping of, the off, of office life, eating better food, and no car to drive or being stuck in traffic. He says, For over three years, I have been extremely successful in developing a great work environment with people I never met in person, yet we know each other by now, delivering high-quality work. Gustavo, thanks for writing in. I think a lot of those comments are going to sound familiar to our next guest. Joining us in the studio is Matthew Ryan Morel, the manager of strategic site planning for Sandia National Laboratories. That's right. Sandia offers remote work. Thank you for coming in to talk about it, Matthew Ryan. Awesome. Great to be here. Would you say the comments from Gustavo in that email are representative of many of the employees you know with alternative work arrangements? Absolutely. Um, We
3: have people that have absolutely thrived being remote, completely out of the state, um, locally, working from home. And then we have those that said, get me back in right away. And it's truly a personal preference, a work style um, and,
0: ultimately, the work you're actually working on. Okay. Well, how many people are we talking about at Sandia? How many are working off-site? We have 4,000 people uh, working
3: offsite, which is massive um, compared to pre-pandemic numbers. I believe that's something like, what, 10%-ish of the of the employees there? Um, Yeah, we're clocking at about 20-something percent of our employee workforce
0: now um, working offsite in some form or fashion. Well, how can Sandia do this? Aren't you guys managing the country's nuclear stockpile? Isn't there a security concern with people doing work outside the lab? Absolutely a huge concern for us, and it took
3: a lot of uh, policy adjustments and making sure that everything um, kept safe, but ultimately it goes down to what are you actually working on? And we realized in the pandemic, not every single job had to be in an individual enclosed office on site. It's not where industry's going. It's not where the country's going and um, we wanted to lean in to what those options really were and what was the wiggle room that we had for our employees. Okay, so what kinds of people and jobs are appropriate for remote work? And it even goes down to you know the management style and the, and the person's performance, but ultimately we realized anywhere from um, our cyber folks doing some of that stuff that are able to do that at home, procurement, uh, finance, HR, Um, I do facilities planning, so um, you would think facilities has to go in every day. Not everyone in facilities is actually working with a hammer and nails. Um, So I'm able to do my job partially at home and partially in the office. So it honestly, it
0: ranged from every single job category at the lab. Are there jobs that you've tried to make remote and it just didn't work? I would say
3: um, there were some jobs that we've realized, hey, it's maybe more conducive or even parts of the job to come back on site and do, you know, we think of during the pandemic, we were having to do long eight hour, maybe um, improvement events online because we had to. And um, now we're like, no, it's more conducive, come back on site and do that face to face and in person. So it wasn't necessarily a specific job, but portions of every job I think we've realized need to be done uh, more in person.
0: Let's go back to Erica Barrero from Nusenda Credit Union. Uh, You've brought in a lot of the ideas that you kind of uh, discovered, imagined, something when you were working at CNM and have tried to kind of transform the workplace there. Uh, Are there ideas that just haven't worked?
2: I would say that we are discovering uh, which things we need to offer in different ways. Uh, I would say an idea that doesn't work is thinking that um, people working remotely are just somehow gonna magically feel the culture and the connection, right? that that someone in person uh, feels as well. We know that our kind of culture um, is not as necessarily felt in those circumstances. Um, We're looking at um, certainly different experimentation with, again, space usage. Uh, It's, you know, certainly allowed us the opportunity to see ways that we might better use our uh, workspace but we're very much in an experimental stage gathering the research gathering the data um, and it's It's honestly too early yet to say, um, here's what we know works at our organization. Well,
0: I think company culture is really important, and I want to talk more about that. Uh, I happen to work in a great public radio newsroom where we have a lot of camaraderie. We help each other a a lot with uh, stories and research. And we've been able to do it pretty well, I think, remotely. Before that, I worked at Trader Joe's where it's just famous for culture, you know? um, How are you able to build
2: culture with remote workers at Nusenda? Well, uh, I think what uh, has already been alluded to is we have some on-site requirements. Uh, We do believe in the value of those in-person exchanges. And certainly when we are onboarding uh, new employees, we are wanting them to be on-site so they have more of that mentoring, that coaching, as well as that excitement and and celebration of a new employee joining the company. And that may change in the future. But right now, it's the best way we know to really help transmit that culture.
0: Okay, I'd like to read another email, uh, this time from Christina, who is a state employee. And we happen to know we have a lot of state employees listening to our show. They like to catch it, uh, you know, on Interstate 25, heading north to their offices in Santa Fe. Uh, She says, We were highly productive working from home, from March 2020 to January 2023. Our director told the governor that his staff was productive and he was sidelined. We hear that working from home a day or two a week might happen if the union can come to an agreement with the state. Earlier today, I was sitting in traffic at Corza Paseo del Norte for over half an hour due to to a crash. Sitting in traffic like that is such a soul-crushing waste of time. I'll point out to listeners, we did reach out to the governor's office and the director of the state personnel office to ask if they'd join us to explain the benefits of having state workers on site, but neither of them responded. Erica, what do you make of the state telling all employees to come back to the office instead of adapting to more flexible work models?
2: (laughs) Well, um, let me say that I think there are many employers that are really trying to get a handle on how they resume um, quote unquote normal operations. And uh, I think that we see a, a, a continuum of different responses. And I think that we also are recognizing that employees are gonna make choices based on those responses. So I can't speak to what the state's motivation is. I will say that there are some things that are concerning about remote work. We have people who have increased feelings of isolation, increased depression. Um, we know that post-pandemic, we have more people struggling with anxiety. Um, and and sometimes we don't know about those things until we see them. And so I was conversing with someone who works for the state, and she was saying, you know, we thought we were doing okay, and then when some of our employees were showing up, we were finding out that their lives are actually not okay. So, again, I can't, you know, speak uh, to what the state is doing, but my hope would be that people are really... um, probably not, again, looking for that it's going to be this way or this way, that people really are going to have to think about that blended and mixed experience.
0: Okay. I actually want to ask you then what you were doing at Nusenda to kind of try to manage, I guess, uh, people's anxiety and, 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 and other off-site problems as much as you can.
2: Yeah, I think I would say we rely a lot on our leaders. Uh, We certainly um, have protocols that we use that um, maintain kind of visible connections, whether you're working on site or remote in a daily and kind of weekly way. So doing drive-bys, checking in with people, having office hours uh, virtually, not just like Popping in to see people in person. So I really have to commend our leaders who are really focused on the relationship building with their teams. And I think that they are on the front lines of being able to see when their employees are experiencing trouble and helping us connect to them in in some meaningful ways.
0: All right. Well, You know, we're not too far off from that discussion of government employment. Matthew Ryan, I want to come back to you. Sandia is run by Honeywell, but for the Department of Energy. Were there any federal rules or hoops to navigate when it came to offering flexible schedules?
3: A lot less than one would think. Um, it ultimately came down to, to leadership and what the leadership was feeling was right. We had a lot of focus groups and what the people wanted to do and worked with um, NSA and the Department of Energy on what made the most sense for really the, the bigger picture of we were going to get better talent. We were going to keep the people that, that are so extremely valuable to Sandia. And that outweighed, I think, a lot of the other risks.
0: Um, that may have been thought of a couple years ago. Okay. Um, You know, we have this idea that somehow remote work is less productive. Uh, I don't know where that came from. Erica, where did that come from? Why is this a perception that people who work from home aren't quite doing as much work as those who go in?
2: Well, I think it's, again, we're asking people to make a major paradigm shift. You know, we've we've certainly expected one of the ways that we know people are doing work is that we see them doing work. And so I think a lot of folks are feeling nervous about the fact that they can no longer visibly observe uh, people doing work. I also think that um, we actually may see a decrease in productivity right now. What we're seeing and the research is saying is that employees are certainly feeling the impacts of the pandemic. we kind of made it so far for so long and at this point we have a lot of employees that are expressing that they have um, a lot more anxiety, a lot more um, concerns about their future and so I really think in many ways um, we are looking at having to adjust our work expectations around how much work and productivity we may get from people because we really don't know fully what the impact has been on people's mental health
0: okay well another part of that equation is the office space that used to be you know full and busy Now maybe not so much. Uh, One of the ideas floated in news reports was that the callback to the office for state employees may have been the result of a November LFC report that showed $18 million spent annually on vacant office space, state offices. Uh, Matthew Ryan, what kinds of things is Sandia doing with the vacant office space that used to house workers? So one might
3: question, 4,000 people go home, 4,000 offices empty, Mm -hmm. Um, not the case though. We actually um, shifted around the entire campus to get out of decrepit old buildings that we should have been out of a really long time ago, um, that we never had the opportunity to do so. Um, We got out of leases that we no longer um, needed to have because we had less people on site. So thinking a little bit more strategically um, to make sure that we are not having any wasted space and being super
0: strategic about it is is what we strive to do. Okay. I have a question for our listeners. Have you had to give up remote work and return the office? Tell us what it's been like by calling 505-277-5866 or email us at letstalkatkunm.org. Erica, I imagine private industry will be more quick to react than government. How has NuSenda managed its real estate assets with the change in the workforce?
2: Interestingly, uh, Nusinda is growing and has been growing since the since the pandemic. And so, what hybrid and remote work arrangements has allowed us is to grow inside the existing space that we already have. So, our um, efficiency rate, uh, we'll call it, of usage of our campus, our main campus space, has actually increased because we now can house more employees in um, the existing space. I think we would have been bumping up against space constraints, had to go into new construction or a lease arrangement if we did not have hybrid and work arrangements.
0: So you've grown the workforce, but maintained the same footprint, the same real estate. Exactly. Okay. Let's bring in another guest. Joining us by phone is Elka Gunther, an RN with Loveless Medical Center in Albuquerque. Loveless is piloting remote work for emergency room nurses. And it's working so well that the parent company of Loveless is taking the model to other locations. Thanks for joining us to talk about the program, Elka. Good morning, Kathy. Thanks for having me. How exactly would an ER nurse work remotely?
4: Yeah, so I think that for a lot of people, it's kind of hard to imagine using remote work in healthcare, care, specifically in nursing. Um, and I think that Loveless is doing an amazing job piloting this program that started last October. Um, it's a program in the emergency departments at Loveless Medical Center um, in which virtual nurses Um, appear on the TV screens in patient rooms, um, doing various functions, including rounding, collection of admission history, teaching, um, just all kinds of different aspects of nursing that can be done remotely. Okay. Well,
0: how is this different from telehealth, where we might visit with a doctor from home when we're
4: sick? It's similar um, in the sense that it is virtual. It's remote. Um, it's it's different in the sense that it's in the hospital room and it's conducted by nurses. Um, and during these virtual visits, it's more of a check in with patients. Um, it's it's not so much of specialty care. So you know, I think in um, telemedicine we think of it as a visit with a provider with a you know, a one-time visit, whereas what we're doing is more checking in throughout the ER stay of each patient to see how they're doing, answer questions, um, you know, perform charting and collection of of data that that will help, um, you know, in the admission as well as discharge process. All
0: right. Well, what does one of these remote visits look like from a patient's point of view?
4: Yeah. So, um, the patient doesn't have to do anything. Um, the technology is set up, uh, around the TV screen. And so what, what, um, we do is we have signs, um, in the room explaining a little bit about the virtual nursing. And, um, we, prior to our visit, our name appears on the screen and we ask the patient, you know, permission to speak with them and to turn the camera on. Um, they may decline if they don't feel comfortable with that kind of a visit. Um, but if, they, if they're they willing to talk with us, then we, we appear on their TV screen and we're able to um, have a conversation with them, answer questions, and speak to them um, with them being able to see us and communicate back.
0: Now, is there some kind of alert or something first, or are you just suddenly there in the room? Because that seems a little bit alarming.
4: There is definitely an alert. And like I said, we do have signage posted to uh, make patients aware of this program because it is new and it is something that people may be, um, you know, uncomfortable with at first if they don't know what it is and and what we're there for. Um, But... We do have signage, and we do have a notification that a virtual nurse is going to be um, appearing on the screen. But like I said, it it starts with our name, and we ask the patient if they're uh, willing and, and comfortable with us talking with them for a few minutes. And if we're interrupting something, then we come back.
0: Okay. I'm, is this service available to patients who, say, don't hear well or maybe don't speak English?
4: So that's where our critical thinking comes in. Um, we are all nurses. We all are all RNs. And we have experience. We have several years of ER experience and inpatient experience. And so what we do is we kind of work through patient charts of patients that are in the ER to find patients that um, are more appropriate for our visits that would feel more comfortable. And if the patient is hard of hearing or has an issue, um, we, we involve family members or other staff in the ER, um, but typically this kind of service is more for patients who can engage with us. So, we, we, don't, we try to avoid having any kind of uncomfortable situation.
0: Okay, Elka, we want to hear more from you, but we have to pause for just a moment. You're listening to Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Kaveh Movahed. Stay right there. We'll be back in just a minute.
4: Tune in for an eclectic mix of Latin music every Monday night and Saturday afternoon. The Raices program features everything from Latin lounge, tango and boleros, to rock and espanol, and D panpipes and those rancheras you grew up with. Find your Raices Monday night and Saturday afternoon here on 89.9 KUNM.
3: The KUNM fall fundraiser is coming up on September 9th and we are looking for businesses and individuals who can offer a challenge grant during the fund drive. When you offer to increase the gifts of KUNM donors during the fund drive, it encourages new listeners to donate, which ultimately increases the amount of support for programming you love. So, if you're planning to give $500 more, please make it a challenge grant by calling 505-277-8006. That's
0: 277-8006. Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico on K on KUNM. I'm Cave Movahead how has remote or hybrid work uh, helped your family call 505-277-5866 to tell us about the benefits of telework and what you miss about the office now we have nurse elka gunther she's an rn from loveless medical center on the line on the phone telling us about remote work for nurses in the emergency room Elka, are those nurses working from an office in the hospital uh, or are they at home? Are they on site if they're needed in the room?
4: So we have several different models. Um, We do actually have an off-site office um, that is not in the same building as the ER but is nearby um, where we can work from. Um, However, we also are able to work from home using secure equipment with a secure connection, Um, and we do not uh, physically go into the ER room. So that is something that we are in communication with staff at the hospital, at the ER, and we keep them informed of, you know, our conversations with patients. And so if there is any kind of need, a physical need, we're able to get somebody to Um, go and see that patient in person.
0: Okay, so it sounds like the remote workers are working through a camera. How well can you see from afar? Can you read medication labels or move around a bedside?
4: Yeah, so thanks to advancement in technology, we have some really excellent cameras. We're able to pan, tilt, and zoom um, if needed, and we can read some pretty small text, so if a patient is holding up a medication bottle um, or is concerned about uh, redness on their skin or any, any kind of concerns where we, where we would need to see a little bit closer, we are able to zoom in um, and the audio is, is clear, just like I'm talking with you. Um, and so it allows for a lot more assessment and interaction with patients.
0: Erica Barrero, we've had multiple episodes of Let's Talk New Mexico uh, discussing how hard it is to find a healthcare provider or even be a healthcare provider in New Mexico, especially in rural areas. Is telehealth and this kind of remote work the future of healthcare in a state with so many rural and underserved populations?
2: Well, I think that we learned again during the pandemic that. Uh, we can expand access to many different types of services when we are looking at um, offering remote. However, we also recognize during that time period that New Mexico is missing some infrastructure to some of our rural communities, to some of our Pueblo communities. Um, And so I would say an urgent priority for us as we now know what an experience is like that forces us to rely upon this technology, but also know that we can use it to support schooling, to support uh, work, um, to support economic growth of our state, that we really need to get this infrastructure in place.
0: I was hoping we would talk more about questions of equity and the digital divide, especially in fields where we really might feel it like healthcare. Um, Maybe not so much in the tech field at Sandia. I would imagine most engineers and other sorts of tech workers probably have pretty good internet access. I bet it's a part of their daily life.
3: We still get... You know, people that have to go in every single day and they're like, well, they get to work from home and it's because the work is different. You're working classified. Classified work has to be done on site. So we even see a little bit of tension at the labs of "Well, I have to carry the the department on site or vice versa. Um, So it even happens internal Mm. at the labs. Okay. That's
0: Matthew Ryan from Sandia National Laboratories, I didn't uh, introduce you. Elka, I want to come back to you uh, to talk more about remote nursing in the ER. Do these remote visits feel good to patients and families?
4: I think that at first it's a little bit of a learning curve for patients to experience something new. Um, But they really appreciate being able to have time with a nurse and ask questions and uh, find out more about what's going on in their care. Um, and we're able to connect with the care team. We're able to connect with the provider taking care of them and the, the nurse on the floor taking care of them. And so um, it offers them a way to express themselves um, in various in various ways, asking questions about, like I said, care that, you know, perhaps test results or um, testing that is still needed or um, things that they perhaps forgot to tell the provider. And while these are all things that the the nurses on the floor in the ER also are able to help with, I think checking in more frequently and regularly helps kind of um, bridge those gaps. And I think that the pandemic really illustrated some gaps, um, you know, with all of the isolation. And so I think that we're really working to provide a better experience in the ER.
0: Okay. Well, what about for the nurses, the workers? We think of nursing as an occupation that's very hands-on with lots of interaction. Um, Does it still feel good to do nursing from afar?
4: Absolutely. And that's a good point. Um, I think that for me, I was a little bit uh, interested in how I would feel about it because I am used to being in person and hands-on with patients, but seeing what the difference that I can make, um, it's, really, it's really been eye-opening for me, um, just seeing the appreciation and, um, you know, the problems that I can solve for patients and making their their visit better. That's, that's really what I got into nursing for to begin with, is to, you know, to provide care and compassion. And so um, there's definitely a lot that I can do remotely to really improve patients' experience.
0: Okay. Well, I have one more guest to introduce this hour. Joining us by Zoom from the East Coast is Emma Harrington, Assistant Professor of Economics at the University of Virginia. Uh, Dr. Harrington was recently highlighted in the New York Times for a paper she co-authored that points to some opportunities missed when working away from the office. Thank you for joining us this morning, Emma.
5: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Emma, would you first tell us a little little bit about your study?
5: Yeah, definitely. So we studied software engineers at a pretty big Fortune 500 firm that had two office buildings on its main campus that were about a 10-minute walk apart. And you might think 10 minutes, not a big deal, but it meant that a lot of their daily meetings happened on Zoom. And we find that engineers who sat together with all their teammates before the offices closed got a lot more feedback on their code than engineers who are on one of those more distributed teams.
0: Okay, so you're looking specifically at software engineers and in an, an urban area, right?
5: Yes, that's correct.
0: Okay, well, you just noted that there was a difference in the feedback on the work product. What sorts of declines did you see?
5: About a 20% decline in feedback with just that 10-minute walk. And so that's pretty substantial in terms of when you think about how much feedback you're receiving. That's a, a big change. And it's even more substantial when you think about the people who are most impacted. So it's the people who are younger, who are newer to the firm, who are really seeing those big gaps. In the amount of feedback they're receiving from their coworkers.
0: Okay, we talked earlier about this perception that remote work is less productive. Do those declines that you noted uh, indicate uh, lower productivity?
5: So, there it gets a little bit hairier in terms of how you think about defining productivity. So, in the short term, we actually see that people get more done when they're not sitting together with their coworkers. Particularly, the more experienced engineers are able to write more programs when they're at home or even just in a different building from their coworkers. But at the same time, you might think on the longer term, those mentorship that happen in the office that may have returns in the in a longer time span.
0: Okay, well, we see this reduction in interaction between coworkers, I'd like to hear more about the implications there.
5: Yeah, so we think a lot of this is coming from people feeling more comfortable asking for help and advice when they're together in the office and we seem to be having trouble sort of replicating that feeling of comfort when we're not physically proximate to one another. I sometimes think of it as like, we sometimes think of ourselves as like just brains who can operate seamlessly in digital spaces, but people are humans. They, they seem to sort of operate differently face to face. And so we see some evidence of that in the data as well.
0: I guess I I would like to ask our in-studio guests. We have Matthew Rye Morell from Sandia National Labs. Do you see that same kind of uh, waning of collaboration for people who are working off-site? To an extent, of course. I think that, um, and this is why we built
3: specific collaboration centers back on-site, because we knew that it was going to be a gap, Um, I would say behavior is absolutely different in person. I was sitting next to some of my colleagues yesterday and it was very natural to be like, hey, can you help me with this versus scheduling a 30-minute meeting potentially a week out. Um, It's very different behavior for sure.
0: Okay. Well, Emma, Matthew Ryan says he's feeling it a little bit in the office. Um, I wonder what kind of data we have to support this idea. Is, Is your study kind of new and novel or is there other data that supports this?
5: I think our study is pretty new and novel. There are other studies that point in some similar directions. There was a big study of Microsoft employees where they looked at the collaboration networks and, particularly, who was emailing whom. And they found that being together physically in the office helped people form new connections. And so it broadened the set of people that individuals we're talking to. And so we might also think that being physically together might not only deepen relationships, but also broaden people's work networks.
0: Okay. You mentioned there might be kind of a deficit when it comes to role modeling for younger employees. I'm thinking about other implications on equity. Um, Did you have a measure of women or people of color and whether they're getting a fair experience when it comes to working offsite?
5: yeah so we really delved into the gender dimension in our study and we find that being physically proximate is more important for the amount of feedback that female engineers receive they see larger deficits in feedback when there's distance from their colleagues we do however see a flip side of that so for people who are more experienced in the firm It's also the female engineers who see the biggest increases in their productivity when they're remote. And that's consistent with maybe women doing a little bit more of the mentorship of their colleagues and so seeing bigger increases in the amount of time they can devote to their own tasks when they're remote.
0: And I think you told me that uh, those people who work on site who are maybe taking on more of those mentorship roles tend to earn more or have uh, greater access to promotions?
5: Yeah, so we see sort of a pattern consistent with sort of different impacts in the short and long term. So in the short term, being with your colleagues seems to be a bit costly for your pay as you spend a lot of time working on mentorship and learning from your colleagues and less time on your own output. But then later on, we see more dividends, then ultimately you're more likely to get pay raises if you've been near your colleagues as you've been able to develop more skills.
0: Okay. Actually, there's something I want to touch on there with Erica. What about social interactions apart from professional development that could be lost when people are working remotely? Is there a way to weigh the value of
2: water cooler talk? Well, I would say that um, Water cooler talk uh, certainly is valuable, but again, kind of a reminder that only certain people were comfortable at the water cooler uh, or invited to those conversations. So I think there were still equity issues with on-site uh, work arrangements, and we certainly can see that exacerbated uh, with the remote arrangements.
0: Okay, let's go back to Dr. Emma Harrington. Um, what about those social interactions that are missing with remote workers do you have anything to add
5: yeah i mean we see some evidence of that in the data as well so people who sat in the firm's main building that had that cafeteria that people ate lunch in were also more likely to receive more extensive feedback on their code from people outside their team and so it does seem like being in the office allows for those water cooler chats that allow you to meet someone new and develop a connection outside of your immediate coworkers.
0: Okay, well, what about for the employers? Are there advantages for them to having people working on site? What did you find?
5: I think we think of it again as just sort of a trade-off. So in the here and now, it may be very productive to actually have your workers be remote because they can just focus on their own tasks, but it's gonna be probably hard to onboard new people and to develop your younger workers. And so on a longer term scale, it may be important to have at least some in-person time. And sort of consistent with that in the firm that we study, We see that during the pandemic, when it was impossible to have people together, the firm started just sort of sidestepping that onboarding process entirely and just hiring people who are a lot more experienced. They weren't hiring the new grads anymore. They were just hiring people who have like 10 years of experience as software engineers to sort of buy talent rather than build it. And so going forward, it may be important as firms look to try to tap into talent of newly sort of graduated um, college students and others to sort of have a little bit more of that in-office component.
0: I'll mention that we have nodding heads from uh, representatives at Sandia Labs and also Nucenda Credit Union uh, here in New Mexico. They're they're here in the room with me. And maybe I'll follow up with Erica. Uh, What are the implications for the future of work? What's the
2: future of work? Well, I think the future of work is blended. Um, It's not an either and or, it's both and more. Um, And I anticipate that we are also going to see technologies that allow us to connect more readily with our communities. Okay, we have reached the end of the hour.
0: Thanks to everyone who called in. Well, we didn't get any callers today. Where are you guys? Uh, We did get some emails though. A big thank you to our guests, Giovanna Rossi, Erica Barrero, Matthew Ryan Morrell, Elka Gunther, and Emma Harrington. KUNM will keep following workforce and employment news. Please follow us on Facebook. Search for KUNM Radio. On Instagram, we are KUNM News. And you can email your thoughts on today's show to KUNM.org. We'll have today's audio up on our website soon so you can share or listen again. You can also get the Let's Talk New Mexico podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Next week, we'll be talking about the impacts, good and bad, of social media on young people. Send your comments and questions to KUNM.org. Our engineer today is Marino Spencer, Mia Casas handled the phones, and Bryce Dix and Megan Kamrick produced the show. I'm Kaveh Movahead for Let's Talk New Mexico on KUNM.